Good morning. It's so good to be here with you. Last Sunday, I was giving this teaching at our Waverly campus, and I walked into the lobby, and there was a teenage boy who I know pretty well. I've watched him play soccer and stuff, and he goes, hey, Dave, you're teaching today. What are you teaching on? I said, well, I'm answering a bunch of questions our congregation has about money. And this teenage boy said, I have a question about money. I said, well, give it to me. He said, are you giving any away today? No, we are not giving any away today. Now, those of you who uh, follow us and are aware of what we do with our teaching, those of you who've been around a couple years, you probably realize that there are topics we teach every year. Uh, in fact, it's our strategy. It's almost like a sports team where, uh, you know, an, an all-NFL player comes back or an all-state wrestler comes back. And where do you begin? You always begin with fundamentals. And we think that's the way it is in the following Jesus, too. We think there are fundamentals that you and I need to be coached in year after year after year. Every year, I need that. And so some of those are things like, uh, how do you love your neighbor and how do you love your enemy? How do you follow Jesus? How do you read the scriptures in a way that makes sense to you? Um, what is the gospel of Jesus? How do you raise a family for God? You know, those are questions we try to answer every single year. And then we also, because of the modeling of Jesus, we teach on money every single year. Now, the truth is, we don't teach on money near as much as Jesus did. Jeff talked about this last week. He taught on money a lot. A huge percentage of his parables were about money. We, don't, we teach on it two or three or four weeks a year, max. And this year, we're teaching uh, three Sundays on money. And just remind you where, you, where we've been the last couple years to, to help you get a perspective. Two years ago, we taught a series for three weeks called The Rest of the Pie, which is after you give and after you save, how do you handle, how does Jesus want you to handle that 70, 80, 85% that you keep for yourself? How do you do that? We spent three or four weeks on that. Last year, we taught a series called Time, Treasure, and uh, Talent. And basically, only one of those three weeks were on financial issues. And so we decided this week, let's go out and collect questions and see what kind of questions the actual people in our seats have about money. And so uh, we decided we're going to uh, simply answer questions that we've collected. And the first question that I'm going to answer today is this one. Why does God ask us to give back to him money, money back to him, and how do we do it? I mean, it seems like such a foundational question, but it actually came up in a group. Does he need our money? Why do we give money, and then how do we do it? So uh, I want to simply bring some words from Jesus. These are words from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. Here's what he says. Be careful. Be careful. There's, there's a beginning part with money. Hey, be careful when you think and invest and spend your money. Be careful. But here's where he goes. Not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, hey, be careful how you do the good stuff. And then for the next three verses, he talks about three topics, fasting and prayer and giving. And he says, if you do it for image's sake, that's all you get. If you fast so other people know you're fasting, that's all you get. If you pray so other people know you're praying, that's all you get. 
If you give in a way that other people see, that's all you get is image. And what does he say? He says, when you fast, put on a happy face. Don't let anybody know. When you pray, go into a closet in the dark. And when you give, he says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Do it in secret. Verse 4, same chapter. So that your giving may be in secret, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So how do you do it? You do it in secret. Giving's important. Giving back to God is a part of discipleship. You will not be a growing disciple with Jesus if you think you can withhold your giving from him. Oh, I'll give my time. I'll give my energy. I'll give my spiritual gifts. But if you don't break open your money and give some back, you're going to have a hard time being a growing follower of Jesus. But he says, do it in secret. Now, I believe there are some exceptions to this general principle. One of the exceptions, I believe, are like talking with your children. I think there's a time, sometimes, when you should tell your kids when and how much and why you give. And, you know, we're coming up to the end of the year, and some of you should do this with your junior high, high school, college students. You should say, here's how much money our family got this year, and here's where it went, and here's how we gave. You know, Jesus says, give in secret. He doesn't say money's to be done in secret. Some of you think and believe because of the upbringing you had that everything about money is supposed to be secret in a family. It's not what Jesus said. He said, giving is secret, but let's help. How are our kids going to know? You know, 40 years ago, I, I taught a consumer economics class that was required in the school district where I was a teacher, and uh, was required of seniors, and seniors took uh, this class to learn just some basics about handling money. And the school district thought it was important enough that they had to do it in order to graduate. And some of you haven't had those talks with your kids. Some of you need to at an age-appropriate level. Hey, let's, put, let's shine a little light on this money thing. Um, uh, the second exception to the general principle, you know, if you walk around our church, you won't find any plaques with people's names on it. Like so-and-so gave the money for the keyboard up there. There won't be a plaque. Uh, the, the coffee house at the other end was given as a memorial gift to a family. There won't be a plaque. And we as a church do this on purpose because we're trying to honor this given secret. But sometimes there's a place for it to be a part of a testimony. Like I never used to give and then I started giving and then... There are places where sometimes we'll ask our board if we're doing a fundraising campaign... Hey, could you all give first so that we can tell our congregation that at least our leadership board, every single one gave before we asked them to give? Often I say to our senior leaders, uh, often, almost always I say to our senior leaders, um, we need to be giving before we ask anybody else to give, right? That's just good leadership. So those are two exceptions. But then there's this other thing in the verse. He will reward you. So why do you give? Because there's a payback. Look at this one. Give, this, these are the words of Jesus. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Give God a symbol full of money 
and he'll give you a, a, a little back. Uh, give him a wheelbarrow load of money, and he'll give you a wheelbarrow back, heaped up, packed down. Uh, give him a, a dump truck of money, he'll give that back. Now, here's where we have to be really clear. Those blessings coming back are not always money. In fact, usually they're not money. So give him a thimble full of money, and he's going to give me blessings. But Jesus, we can't ignore this because Jesus said it like several times. When you give, you get back. In fact, you can't outgive God. Now, you don't give to get rich. That's called the prosperity gospel. It's actually preached in our country. It's actually preached on TV, and it's actually untrue. It's not true. You don't give to get richer. And if you say, Dave, how can you be so definite about that? I'll say, look at Jesus and the disciples. They gave everything, and they didn't end up rich. But they ended up blessed. So what is it that we get back? If God gives us back so much when we give, what is it we get back? And I made a list just from the scriptures one, one thing that happens, it breaks the grip of gr greed in our lives. We live in a country where there's an idol, and it's called materialism. And our culture says to us every day, the more you have, the happier you are. Bonk, thanks for playing. That's not true. That's the grip of greed. That's the grip of greed. So breaks the grip of greed, creates a growing faith. You want to have a growing faith? then you need to give. Uh, grows a trusting heart, gives treasure in heaven, uh, moves our hearts towards God. I think there's a verse here on treasure in heaven coming up. Uh, yes, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust and vermin, bugs, destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Matthew 6, 21, uh, where moth and rust and vermin, and there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. I used to have this wrong. Many, many years of my life, I had this wrong. I thought where my heart was, my treasure followed. So if I like this hobby and I invest in it, then my treasure will follow. If I like speedboating, then I'll go buy a speedboat. And, you know, wherever my heart was, my treasure would follow, would follow, my treasure would follow my heart. But Jesus flips it on his head. He says, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be. This is why giving is so important in the church. Wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be. Huh, interesting. So, another question. That's all. I'm all answering one question. Um, if our Orchard Hill staff could give some tips about what they've learned about money, what might our Orchard Hill staff, we have about 45 staff, what would they say to our congregation? So, we asked them this in a staff meeting uh, a few weeks ago, Jeff did, and we were trying to get at their questions, but before we got at their questions, we said, what have you learned? And they whole page of things, but I just wanted to bring several. 
um, one of the top things they said, several said, is track your spending. Learn to keep track of where you spend your money. And this is such good advice because, I mean, anything you're trying to limit and understand, you need to track, right? If, if you're gaining weight and you go, hey, I, I need to change this weight gaining I'm doing, what's the first thing you do? Start tracking your calories so you know where they're coming from. Same with money. Same with like movement, steps, running, marathon. It's always keep track. So that was good advice. Save for emergencies. Have an emergency fund. Well, why? Well, then every financial wall I hit doesn't become a crisis. Pay off credit cards every month. Trust God by tithing. Learn from how your parents spent money. That's interesting. The staff would say that. Learn from how your parents did it, good and bad. Hmm. Well, that brought us to another question. How much money does, how much power does our narrative have on how we see money? How much influence does our parents have, is another way to say it, on how you think about money right now as you're sitting in the seats? And some of you are hearing their voices right now. Some of you are hearing a voice of a dad or a grandpa or a grandma or a mom saying, the church, all they want is your money. Some of you are hearing talking about money doesn't belong in the church. Some of you are hearing this. There's never enough money. There's never enough. Um, my money, my business. Right? Parents have a huge impact on how we all see our money. Some of you are hearing those voices right now. And as a follower of Jesus, if I'm going to mature in this area, then I need to take what my parents, the voices they put in my head, and I need to put it on the table, write it down, and say, here's what I learned from my upbringing about money. And then I need to sort them out. This one's true, and this one's not. This one's true, and this one's not. And if you're married, then for sure, Brenna, where are you? Brenna, you need to do this as a couple. You need to do this as a couple. <laughs> you need to say, hey, here's what I've learned about money. Sorry to pick on you. I didn't know you were sitting together and all that. <laughs> uh, and here's what I learned and here's what you learned about money. And now we need to put those on the table because this is where huge disagreements come up. Right? Every growing follower of Jesus. Now for me, in our family, I'm just like you. I've got these voices in my head. For me, uh, our family was uh, really quite poor, quite poor. Our first house that I lived in as a baby had an outdoor bathroom. It was basically a double garage. Um, uh, my dad actually took me there, and I saw it uh, a few weeks ago for the first time. I was just out giving him a ride, and he said, Dave, would you like to see the first house you lived in? And it was actually a double garage next to another house. Um, our family was poor, especially in grade school. The urban legend is one day my dad got off work and he had to make a choice. Either I ride the bus home and pay that fee or I buy a loaf of bread. So either I can get a ride home and be hungry or I can buy a loaf of bread and walk home. 
And I think that's a true story. Uh, we had a pile of bills in those days. Some of you were in these homes. A pile of bills by the phone. Now, in those days, the phone hung on the wall. And you know it would ring. Uh, <laughs> none of these songs and stuff. Uh, a pile of bills, right? And I watched and learned how my parents did it. You could never pay the whole bill. You paid a part of the bill. But if you paid a part of the bill and you told them you're going to pay a part of the bill, then they don't shut off the water or the electricity or anything like that. I actually remember a day uh, when my dad had lost his job. He worked in a warehouse, four kids, a wife. Uh, I was probably in upper grade school. And uh, I remember he lost his job. He was without a job. And then he got the flu. And he was laying in his bed with the flu, couldn't go looking for work. And somehow, as a kid, I just knew this was a bad day. So I went in by my dad, by the bed, and I said, Dad, you lost your job. You got the flu. This must be a terrible day. And he looked at me, and he said, Dave, it's going to be okay. Now, I've got voices in my head from all of that. You want to know what my voices say? It says you pay your bills first. You always, every time, pay your bills first. You're very careful with money. It has value, and there's probably not enough of it. That's the voice in my head. I learned not to waste money on frivolous things. I learned to be careful with credit, and maybe even a little bit afraid of credit. I learned, now this is one I've had to throw away, I've learned to distrust wealthy people. I just did. That's part of our family history. You just don't trust people with wealth. How did they get there, you know? I learned that even when you're poor, you give to God. We were poor. And then we started going to church. And I remember the first time I ever saw my dad open his billfold and put money in the plate. I was like thinking as a kid, we ought to be taking money out of that plate. <laughs> we should not be putting money in there. Right? But I learned from my dad, even when you're poor, even when there's not enough, you still give. Uh, how, do, how and what do we teach our children and next generations about money? Jesus again said, do, do your giving in secret, but don't do your money in secret. He never said that. Our money, uh, here's a couple things I think we should be teaching as parents and grandparents. One, I think we need to sit our kids down and help them understand this day after day after day. Every good gift in your life comes from God. You have health, it comes from God. You have a good school to go to, it comes from God. You have fun on the volleyball court or the soccer field, the health to do that comes from God. Every good gift on this planet that you'll ever experience comes from God. We need to teach our kids that. We need to uh, teach our kids to give. You don't have to be an adult with a job to give. Kids need to learn to give when they're little, when they get their first part-time job, when they do their first uh, whatever it is they're doing. 
learn to give. And some of you, I just want to say, some of you are doing amazing with this. I see uh, online some of the things your kids are doing with their money and their effort and their lemonade stands and they're collecting peanut butter and all the things they do to help others. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, uh, we need to give first. We need to teach our kids this. First you give, then you save, then you spend. And I've seen some of our homes have three jars with their littlest kids. And like, here's the, here's the giving, here's the saving, and here's the spending. Um, and then we need to teach them you can trust God. And with Thanksgiving coming, it would be a great time to teach our kids. Uh, don't wait too long. Now, here's the next question. Uh, who are the rich? Have you ever noticed that sometimes people ask you a question because they want to tell you the answer? <laughs> this question came from my wife. She wanted to tell me the answer. She said, Dave, you go in there and tell them they're all rich. Okay. You're all rich, according to my wife. Now, how does she get at this? Uh, because whether or not you feel rich depends what direction you look. Let me say that again. Whether or not you feel rich depends what direction you look. If you look at the wealthiest families in Iowa or Cedar Falls, you probably aren't at that level and you could feel poor. If you look at NFL stars, you're going to feel poor. But if you look at the families that we support as a church in Mozambique or Haiti, you are filthy rich. The poorest one in this room is rich compared to the families that I visited in Mozambique and Haiti. I remember being, <laughs> Neil's in the room somewhere, I remember Neil being under this cold waterfall because we thought we should take a shower. Uh, I can't remember whether it was Haiti or Mozambique. I think Mozambique. We're taking this shower in this cold, and it, I'm just freezing to death. I'm always cold anyway. Um, and then it hit me. The family we support in Mozambique will never, never in their lives, take a warm, clean shower. Never. It's a piece of reality that I do most mornings that they'll never... Now when I get in and suds up, I'm like thinking, my friends in Mozambique will never have this experience. It depends what direction you look, whether you feel wealthy or not. And we've got to be sure we're looking the correct direction. Hear me on this. Here's another piece I get. One of the things we do as a family that we like to do is go vis visit these old mansions. Um, uh, one that we visited three or four times is called the Biltmore in Asheville, North or South Carolina somewhere. Um, and you go there, and uh, it was built by a guy named Cornelius Vanderbilt, who, is one, who was one of the richest, richest men of his era. This was the largest employee in Asheville. I mean, he's got acres and acres. He's got, like, uh, I wrote this down, 200 and, uh, 250 acres but his house is four acres. Four acres is his floor space. He has 35 bedrooms, 43 bathrooms, 65 fireplaces. Beautiful gardens. 
You know what I think about when I think about Cornelius Vanderbilt? This is crazy. I have conveniences he never even dreamed of. I have a microwave. He never dreamed of one. I have a cell phone that sits in my pocket. He didn't even have one of those phones that sits on the wall. I have a garage door opener. In 1888, when he built it, he didn't even have a car. In many, many ways, you're richer than he was. Why is it we feel poor some days? because of the direction we look. I want to close with... Um, oh, oh, there's another question, quick. Um, this came from some people, and I, I thought it was, is giving money to God and giving money to the church the same thing? And how do we decide what gets our giving? No, no. Um, it's not the same thing, right? You're going to give money to God, but a part of your giving money to God will be the church. Um, Jesus gave the story of the Good Samaritan, right? So remember the guy went down into the ditch, and he used some of his resources to help the guy, and he said, this is a picture of love. So obviously giving to God is going to be beyond the church. I mean, you might find somebody in the ditch, and you need to help them, right? So that can be part of your giving. Well, it needs to be part of your giving. But the church needs to be a pretty big part of your giving. Jesus said, I will build my church. It's his. And so we fund it. And we do it with joy, right? I mean, it's amazing to me. We, we do it with joy. He says, if, if you can't do it with joy, don't do it. Learn to do it with joy. Uh, okay, so what motivates me to give to the church? I wanted to answer this, and then I'll pray. Uh, I do really understand at a deep level that every good gift in my life comes from God. So when somebody gives you this much good, I don't care whether it's a neighbor or a friend or God, I got to give back. I got to. So stewardship is not the church needs your money. Stewardship is I need to give because I understand what Jesus did for me. I need to give. Um, and coming out of a poor family like I do, it will be very important for me that the church I give my money to is very frugal. Remember the bills by the phone? And so Orchard has, over time, established a frugality. Some of you look around and go, well, there's more things we could do with money. Yeah, there certainly are. Uh, but we're frugal. We let chairs really wear out, right? We uh, replace the concrete slowly, right? We spend money carefully. We do. And staff, staff salaries uh, uh, are, uh, for our church our size are not in the strongest territory. But it's on purpose. Because we know when you write your check or give your regular giving, you're giving at a sacrifice, so everybody should sacrifice, right? So we are frugal. And, um, but here's the other thing. So much of what happens here is priceless. Priceless. When a youth group leader sits down with one of my grandkids in a small group and shares with them and gives them a hug, priceless. When our worship leaders 
are somewhere, I think they're in Des Moines, working with a bunch of kids. And by the way, our worship teams have great influence on other churches. I travel and consult with other churches, and they're always talking to me about the influence our worship leaders have. It's a big deal, priceless. Uh, So those are why I, my wife and I keep giving. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to move to communion. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for uh, your love and your grace and your gifts and your truth. Thank you that we get to be here in a free country to worship you exactly as we choose. Thank you that we get to move into this communion time when we are urged by you to remember the greatest gift ever given, the life of your son, Jesus. Amen.